All right, well, grab your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Um, you may recall that while we are doing our series on the resurrection Sunday morning, we're exegeting uh, 1 Corinthians 15 in the evening. We won't finish it um, this evening, but uh, Lord willing, this is the penultimate study of 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, the reason we've looked at 1 Corinthians 15 is it's known as the resurrection chapter. It is here Paul lays out a theology of the resurrection. And most scholars agree, because we get hints of this in other places, that um, people anticipated the return of Christ to be so imminent, they didn't know what to do when believers died prior to the return of Christ. So Paul writes saying um, uh, what exactly we believe about the resurrection our thoughts uh, on life after death, so on and so forth. So 1 Corinthians 15, if you'll stay with me out of reverence for God's word, we'll start in verse 35. Apostle Paul writes on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But some would ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel. Perhaps of wheat or of some other grain, but God gives it a body as he, as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for star difference from star and glory. So... Is it with the resurrection of the dead? What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-given spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Let's go to the earth in prayer. Father, we ask you to be so kind to give us a right understanding of this text. Our first reading can be easy to be lost in what it is the text says, but you've given this to us. Open our minds and our eyes and our ears, our heart, our mouths, our hands, our feet. We go in obedience to Christ. Do a mighty work in us. May I decrease so you can increase. In name your son we pray. Amen. One of the things I've found in life is there are really two types of people. There are people who they need to know how things work. And then there are those who could not care less. Uh, my brother was one who was known for taking everything apart. And he, was, and he gets that from my father, who is a mechanic, loves to take things apart. And my brother would actually, uh, while mom and dad were at work, he knew he had eight to 10 hours to tear things apart and to put it back together without mom and dad ever knowing. Uh, my brother was the type, and I did this a little bit, that if you put together a Lego, the best part of putting a Lego together is tearing it apart and seeing what else you can build with those pieces. Um, there are some who, who are like that. You, you, you light a, a light switch and you want to know, okay, why is it when I flip that switch, the lights come on or lights go off, all, all that, that sort of stuff. 
And there are some people who they could not care less how any of that works. Think about it. Who here can explain what the internet is? Yet right now, we could pull out our phones and we could order pizza from Little Caesars and be ready for us by the end of service. Right? We, some of us are really intrigued by that. What, what is the internet? Where is the internet? You know, uh, did Al Gore really invent it? And what exactly is going on there? Um, and we do that with, with technology, with mechanics and, and, and uh, everything else. Um, what Paul does for us is he tells us how the resurrection happens. He's already laid out um, that it will happen, and we know it will happen because Christ was risen from the dead. He began the chapter by saying, we know Jesus was risen from the dead. Here's all these witnesses. He, he, he cites an early creed that dates probably within 10 to 15 years of the event. So, so the historicity is really without question in Paul's mind, not to mention Paul himself is one of those eyewitnesses. And he explains the, the pastoral benefits, consequences of the resurrection. Uh, but here he wants to explain how does it all work? In fact, this is introduced to us in verse 35. The two questions he, he wants to, to answer, and these are the two questions we usually want answered, right? Uh, there it is. How are the dead raised? And what sort of bodies are they going to have? Those are the two questions. And what he has, starting in verse 36, going all the way down to verse 49 with what we read, he answers those questions. But he does it in two parts. The first part is he illustrates the resurrection. To answer the question, he starts with an illustration. And that means Paul is a good teacher, right? Every good teacher uses illustrations, and Paul begins with one here. Notice in verses 36 to 38, he, he turns to agriculture to illustrate his point. And, and he, he highlights three things about when you plant a seed, you're, you're going to grow crops, corn or back or whatever it is. And, and, and he said there are, there are three things you need to know. First is death. It's there in verse 36. You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it first dies. Even city people knows how this works, right? If, if you have a seed, you put it in the ground, it has to die so that the living thing you've planted can, can grow, right? This is a very, very simple concept. Um, the, the seed ceases to exist. The seed must first dissolve. It must die. Jesus picks up on this imagery when looking at his own uh, impending death. In John chapter 12, a group of Greeks come to meet Jesus. I think it's Andrew or Philip, one of them, find them and bring them to Jesus. And he, he says this, uh, John 12, 23, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, reference to his death. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears fruits. Jesus' point is, is, is that now that the nations have come, they're flocking to Jesus, his death is the bearing of fruit. That what it is they're looking for is for him to die. And in dying, what you have is the fruit of, of the gospel will, 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 will take place then. So too, what we have here is the resurrection presumes death. You can't be raised from the dead if you're not dead to begin with. That, that, that makes uh, uh, pretty simple sense, I think. The old must die so that the new can take its place. So we start with death, verse 36. And, and so you implant it into the ground, there's death, and that leads to transformation, verse 37. What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. 
Uh, I've shared this before. One of the most common questions I got from teenagers when I was youth pastor was, uh, what sort of bodies are we going to have? And, and the reason they, they would ask that question is because uh, they were afraid that uh, they would have bodies like their great-grandparents, whatever it is, uh, that was more feeble and weak and with, with certain handicaps, right? Uh, are we going to need a cane walking around heaven because we died in our elderly age, right? That's, that's what they're afraid of. What they wanted was to be 21 with, with muscles in their earlobes, right? They wanted to be in peak condition so they can run from one end of heaven to the other without getting tired, right? They could overeat at the mayor's supper of the lamb and not grow weight. That's what they wanted, okay? Well, that presupposition is problematic. They assume the nature of things is the same on earth as it will be in the ultimate kingdom of God. I mean, who wants to live in a heaven where our arthritis continues, right? We, we don't want that at, at all. I already know I had an MRI a few months ago for a separate issue, no big deal. And they've showed out that uh, at some point arthritis is going to show up in my lower back. I fell down a flight of steps when I was younger. Uh, when I say younger, I was like 20. Um, and in my arrogance, I thought, well, my body will heal. Yeah, it did not heal. I'll find out when I'm 40. Um, I'll be 39 in two months. Um, but, uh, but this is not what the Bible teaches. That everything, will, will, that as you see it here and experience here, will be the same there. Uh, and so to, to think of it as that seed. Um, the wheat does not look anything like the seed. Corn does not look anything like the seed you planted. Backer doesn't look anything like the seed that you planted. There is a transformation. Um, no crop or, or, or even flower we could, we could look at looks anything like the seeds that will be with us. We will not cease to be human, nor will we cease to be embodied beings. That is not Paul's point. That's been clear throughout this chapter. But we will be transformed. It may be helpful for us here to look at the one person who has been raised from the dead. When we say raised from the dead, we mean eternally raised from the dead. A lot of people have been brought back from the dead. Jesus did that. Lazarus and the, the little girl and, every, and the widow in uh, Elisha's day, so on and so forth. But only Jesus has experienced resurrection. There are some bizarre things that, that happens post-resurrection of Jesus, right? And this helps explain it. Like, one minute Jesus isn't in the room. The next minute Jesus is in the room. I can't explain that. But... It seems as if there is something unique about the resurrected body. Or remember that when Jesus is raised, Mary Magdalene's at the tomb. She's just bawling her eyes out, and a dude walks up to her, and, and, and she assumes he is the gardener. There's two reasons for that. One, you don't assume you're talking to a dead person living. None of us would do that. Go out to any cemetery here, find a hole in the ground that used to have a body in it, and if someone comes up and, and puts their hand on your shoulder and says, there, there, everything's okay, you're not going to say, oh, you must be the guy who used to sleep there. You're not going to do that because we all know that the dead aren't raised. At the same time, she can look at the man and, and, and not recognize him initially. Now, she eventually does recognize him. Or the, the disciples on the walk to Emmaus. It wasn't until he broke bread that they realized that they were in the presence of the resurrected Christ. So you see then that Paul is saying that, that like in agriculture, there is transformation of the body. So when we think in terms of age or capacities here on earth, we're really missing the point. What we have there in our glorified bodies is far better. The third, so we have death, uh, uh, transformation, thirdly, permanence, verse 38. 
For not all flesh is the same. There is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. Again, this sounds strange to our ears, but it's a really simple idea. When you plant a seed and it becomes a crop, a plant, or a flower, it will forever remain that crop, flower, or plant, right? Corn will never become a daisy. Daisy will never become tobacco. Tobacco will never become a Venus flytrap, right? Permanence. Whatever it becomes, it stays. You know, I, w- I wouldn't go get a, my wife a rose and only to discover a different flower is her favorite flower. And there is a different flower is her favorite flower. I can't remember what it's called. I think she makes it up uh, and changes it so that when I do learn it, she changes it. So I have to learn it again, which means I forget the last one, right? I, I, you women do that on purpose. So whatever, hydrangeas, is that one that women like? Is that a pretty flower? Not that I care. Right? Let's pretend she likes hydrangeas. I could not tell you what a hydrange looks like. This could be a hydrange, and I could not tell you that's a hydrange. You all looking at me like you should know that's not a hydrange. I do not know that's not a hydrange. You could be lying to me. What were we talking about? Oh, yeah. So I'm not going to give my wife a rose, and then she say, well, thank you for the hydrangeas. Because a rose is a rose is a rose. It's going to stay a rose. Hydrangeas are going to stay a hydrangea. You guys are going to lecture me about what these flowers are. I'm sorry, Irma Jean. I have no idea what these flowers are. They're pretty, though. They're pretty. Um, <laughs> I, have, I've, I've, I forgot where I was. But the application here, here should be pretty straightforward. Although, although Jesus was transformed in his resurrection, he was still recognized ultimately as Jesus. No one confused him with Elijah, Elisha, Reuben, Pilate, or Mary, right? Everyone knew it was Jesus. So too, upon our resurrection, we will be we, right? We're going to be us, who we are, right? And I have no doubt we'll have some of our weird stuff about us. Some of us, we will be telling dad jokes to the glory of God for the rest of eternity. Isn't that awesome, right? Uh, some of you who like to sing now, whether it's in the shower or in public, I think you'll be singing in heaven, right? Um, I, I think what makes us us will still be present, right? And that will be permanent uh, because we were made by God with some of those proclivities. Um, but you'll notice that he picks up on this with, with, with a second illustration, verse 39, which is what I actually read before. Where he talks about not all flesh is the same, right? And, and again, that sounds strange, but it's kind of an obvious observation. Not all flesh is the same. There's human flesh, animal flesh, bird flesh, fish flesh. Here, let me see if we can put this a different way. If you were to hold the hand of your spouse, you would not expect to be holding something scaly, would you? No. If you were to, uh, we were teaching our Australian Shepherd how to shake hands, right? It's kind of a disrespectful dog. Always goes with the left paw, um, but hey, I'll take it. Um, um, so the dog might be British, I guess. Anyways, um, um, but when, I, when, when the dog shakes our hand, I'm not surprised when I feel fur. It's animal flesh, right? Um, um, if you go fishing, you grab that small, ba- small mouth bass, I... I would be surprised if there are fingernails well-decorated coming out, right? I mean, it's, you get it, right? And that is Paul's point here. There are heavenly bodies, there are earthly bodies. Verse 40, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly body is of one kind. The glory of the earthly body is of another. In other words, the resurrection makes us fit for the presence of God. 
And given the nature of this broken world, we cannot climb a stairway to heaven. We must first be transformed. And that takes place miraculously by the resurrection. God prepares us for his presence. Now, this strange discussion, remember, is, 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 is the answer to the opening discussion. What sort of bodies will we have in heaven? And to answer that question, Paul turns to nature. We will not cease to be ourselves, but we will be embodied beings, but we will be transformed, resurrected embodied beings. This is the doctrine of glorification. Salvation is justification. The growth of holiness is sanctification. And finally, the resurrection brings about glorification. Well, that's the illustrating the resurrection. In verses 42 to 49, he explains the illustration. And that's what he does starting in verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. He, he's, he's wanting you to make this connection. Okay, I gave you these, these illustrations, which may be odd to us, but they're in an agricultural uh, 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 culture. So now he's going to explain it, right? And, and he says that like a seed, we are buried with perishable bodies, only to be raised with imperishable bodies, right? That's, that's verse 42. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. And so what is sown is dishonored, and it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. So he's still picking up on an illustration of planting, right? And the, remember the three things of planting, death, uh, uh, transformation, and permanence. And, and he gives us another list of three. So we start with uh, perishable, that becomes imperishable. We go from um, um, uh, dishonor to glory, weakness to power. Right? But he still has that same illustration in, in mind. Um, now, he, consider the implications of this. We live in perishable, weak bodies. There is no escaping it. As we age, we slowly decline. Some may be faster than others, but we cannot escape it. You all know that I coach middle schoolers. I now coach high schoolers. And uh, Thursday was our last kick around before the, the dead period. You, you, you can't meet, you can't practice, you can't organize anything until middle of July when the season will actually start. And so I had the players come out. We're going to kick around, and we're going to put every body out in the field we can. So me and my assistant coach, we were out there kicking around with these uh, teenagers, right? These are 14 to 17-year-olds. And let me tell you, the soreness really kicked in day two. Have you ever had that? Like, I did everything I was supposed to do, right? I stretched before, right? I drank a lot of water before, and then I got home. And I took a hot Epsom uh, salt bath. Now, when I throw in the Epsom salt, I mean business, okay? I try to get me a good night's rest. I try to stretch it out a little bit. Took the dog for a walk Friday. Took things easy. Come Saturday, I couldn't move. Like Friday was bad enough and you expect it. And I thought, well, this, I thought this would be worse. But look at me. I'm in better shape than I thought. Come Saturday. Let me tell you. I, I, I was hurting. Hurting. Now, when I was their age, I didn't stretch. I just went out there, ran around for two hours, right? And, and some of those guys, they don't drink water. We beg them. I mean, we beg them. We call parents. Hey, little Johnny needs to bring water. Okay, coach, we'll make sure he brings water. No water. They just, when it's water break for the old folks, they just start kicking a ball. Right? And you can't trust boys without supervision, I assure you, right? 
Well, eventually, because I'm double their age, eventually that's going to stop, right? Every father fears the day he knows is coming. The day his son can beat him in every sport. Right? I still remember the day my son legitimately beat me in chess. It bothers me to this day. It bothers me. He was so happy, and I had to hide my excitement for him, but I was miserable. I still remember the day I outran my father. That was a great day for me, right? Our bodies start to decline. Uh, many of you all know I drive a 98 uh, Corolla, Toyota Corolla. Love the car. It's a great car. And uh, people are surprised that even though it's 25 years old now, uh, it only has about 118,000 miles on it. Whenever I tell people about this Corolla, they see the Corolla, they always say the same thing. 118,000 miles? Oh, you've got at least another 100,000 of that, that thing. I said, I hope so. I hope so. Because my plan is, is by the time it's, I have to replace the car, the kids are out of the house. Right? And so I'm not spending so much money on frozen pizza and, 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 and Dr. Pepper, right? You know, that I got, you know, I'm not spending all that money. And then I'll be ready to, to, to buy another car, maybe a 99 Corolla. I don't know what it is. But at some point, even a Toyota Corolla will stop running. It will break down. It will have to be replaced. And so Paul says that we are, uh, first of all, uh, we, we, we go from the perishable to the imperishable. And then he says we go from dishonor to honor. This idea of dishonor carries the idea of disgrace, shame, or even unseemliness. And no doubt this is the case with death. It is difficult, isn't it, to witness the slow decay of disease and death has on loved ones. Uh, a family and I went Monday to see my great uncle. He's the last of his generation of, of the McDonald's. He's my grandfather's brother. Very, very special to us and our family. And he is in late stages of dementia. And what we think he had was a mini stroke that didn't show up on the test has really made him go downhill. Mostly stays sedated. Virtually every day is a bad day. We thought Monday he was going to have a good day. And uh, at first he did, and then it didn't turn out that way. And it's hard to see that. Uh, when he does speak, you can't understand him, and what you can't understand is gibberish, or, or it makes no sense. He was laying in bed and did this, thought he was falling. He's laying in bed. We have to say, you know, Uncle Kenny, you're, you're not falling. You're okay. We're here. We love you. Well, that's, that's hard to watch, isn't it? There's something dishonorable about that process. And death couldn't care less about who we are or how much money we've made or how, uh, what our reputation is or how powerful we once were. There's something dishonorable about death. Um, and, and so that's why when, when, when it comes to funerals, one of the things we do is we go out of our way to beautify the body. Because we, we want our last memory to be as we want to remember them, not as they last were. And so we, 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 we go through these elaborate funerals. There's nothing wrong with that necessarily, but um, we understand that death has with it something dishonorable. But Paul says that, that what the resurrection does is it moves dishonor to glory. That's a word that we reserve for Christ, isn't it? For God. And so, so, so this is a radical transformation. And remember, it isn't just transformation. It's permanence of that transformation. Glory. Imperishable. 
glory. And then notice, we are sown in weakness, but raised in power. The dead, after all, are weak. Think about it. Is, is you can fill out a legal document called a last will and testament. And more likely what you have in there will be honored. But maybe not. Maybe your wish was to hand down the truck. I don't know what it is. Whatever you want it to be. And your son or daughter, whoever it is, gets the truck, decides they just assume sell it and not have anything to do with it. There's something weak. The dead can't do anything about it. The dead really have no choice in the end. Um, study the role of kings and they try to set everything up for their son. And Solomon laments this in Ecclesiastes. He says, the wisest of, son, uh, of kings, what good is it? Because there's a good chance his son will be a fool and undermine everything he built. There's weakness that comes with death. But Paul says because of the resurrection, there is war, there is power. And that's the beauty of it. That's the good news of it. And so he, he goes down to verse 44 that uh, we are sown in natural bodies, raised in spiritual bodies. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Now, again, to emphasize, he's not saying that we will be disembodied cherubs playing harps that are chubby on, on, on clouds. He's not saying that at all. Uh, but what he's saying is, is that the body you have now is not fit to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. For the same reason that you cannot walk on the moon in a sundress. Right? You, you are not prepared for it. You are not dressed for it. What we need is resurrection. God is drawing us to himself. We will be fit to be in the presence of God. And again, understand the significance of this. When sin entered into the world, we became weak, we became dishonorable, we became natural. And that is why when God walked into the garden after they ate of the fruit, Adam fled. When Moses asked to see God, he had, excuse me, had to hide in the cleft of a rock. When Job demanded an audience, he shuddered at the voice of God. Yet we witness angels, seraphim, cherubim, the living creatures, the angel of the Lord, and other divine beings standing in his presence right now. And the good news is... God will see to it that we are numbered among them. You all know my favorite chapter, Revelation chapter 5. Consider how, how the chapter ends. John writes, Then I looked and I heard around the throne the four living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, and I mean myriads and myriads, thousands upon thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. The elders fell down in worship. And, 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 and John wants us to see we will be numbered among them on that day. And that's only possible because of the resurrection. We have to be planted in death, transformed by the power of, of, of the resurrection and the permanence that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, this passage concludes with a final uh, illustration. 
And here he looks at the first and the second Adam, the first and the last Adam. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. And he, he does that contrast. First Adam from dust, second Adam from heaven. And this is typical of Pauline theology. Read Romans 5, for example, right, where, where he talks about through Adam, sin and death entered to the world. But through the second Adam, Christ, uh, sin has been conquered and there is life in his name. So choose which Adam you will place your identity in. The first Adam of death or the second Adam of life. He does something similar here. That, that, that he has the first Adam represents the dust of the earth. The second Adam represents heaven. One is from the earth. The other is from heaven. Again, that does not undermine the full incarnation of Jesus. He is fully God, fully man. It's not that. His point is, is for us to better grasp the beauty of the resurrection. And he says that, that the reader, we are all from the first Adam. We are earthly. We are sinners. We are destined to die. We are bound by the laws of nature. If you are born, you will die barring the return of Christ. Without a doubt, we will, we, this will be our story. But he then looks at the true and better Adam, that is Christ. And he says, by faith, our future is tied to his glorious grace. Because of him, as the first fruits of the resurrection, to go back earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, we will be made fit for heaven. We will be given resurrected bodies. We will be clothed in righteousness. We will be given everlasting life. And so the question Paul leaves the reader is, will we be found fit for his kingdom? Hope you don't mind, but I want to steal someone else's illustration because I can't come up with anything better, and I tried. Another, of course, is the Scottish-American himself, Alistair Beck. His treatment of this text is really good. I recommend it to you. I want to conclude as he concluded. I'm not a big golfer guy, but uh, Beck is. I mean, he is Scottish after all. Uh, and he talks about that in golf, there is the master's green jacket, right? And he says, wouldn't it be silly if you or I, if we were watching the masters and we were watching that 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 there is perhaps no bigger honor in golf than to wear that green jacket. And in wearing that green jacket, you, you are welcome into a very, very exclusive club. You have to earn the green jacket to be part of that. You can't pay the money. In fact, the money you get for winning the green jacket is not the reason you go into the Masters. You go not for the money, though it's probably better than, I don't know, working for the state or something, but you don't go for the money. There's better tournaments if you want money. You go for the jackets. The idea of being part of an exclusive club like that, that's the honor you want. That's the dignity, the glory that you want. He said, but you and I, we, 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 could, we could turn on the golf channel or whatever it's on and, and watch. And we can say to ourselves, you know what? I think I'm going to go get me one of those green jackets. I'll tell you what I'm going to do next year. I'm going to go enter into the Masters. I'm not a golf dude. If a sport doesn't involve sweat, it's not a sport, right? And so, so, so I don't golf. But let's just say I really want that green jacket. I'm going to go out there and golf. Well, what are my chances? Slim to none. I'm not going to get the green jacket. My only hope of being in that exclusive club is if someone gains the victory and clothes me in that green jacket.
Otherwise, I have no hope. And that is what it is that we see in the gospel and the hope that Paul has here for us. The resurrection sounds impossible because it is. We've been trying to cheat death since the very beginning, that death entered into our reality. We can't do it. What we need is someone who already has. And because he is the resurrection of the life, has conquered death. And because he has such power, the keys over it, he will give us that life. He will raise us as he now is. And isn't it good news to know such a victorious warrior has come. And the day will come when he will crown us. He will clothe us, not with a green jacket for golfers to admire, but robes of righteousness that even the Heavenly Father would admire. That's a far better image than we could ever imagine. That's a far greater hope than we could ever imagine. This is the good news of Jesus. Isn't it glorious? Well, with that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, I do ask that you would be kind as to encourage.